0: with our opinion, and we listen to yours. The new face of talk radio, Voice America, Women's Radio Network.
1: Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone.
2: Good morning, I'm Catherine Zox. I'm your social worker with a microphone on Voice America, voiceamerica.com, women, with my co-host Lauren Beller, president of Big Fish Nation. How are you this morning, Lauren? Good morning, Catherine. I'm good. How are you? I am fine. And you know, Lauren, we have quite a, uh, a I don't know, not a schedule, we have a lineup of guests, male views. That's the theme today. So we're going to get the male views, the point of view from men about what men don't tell women about business. This is a new book opening up the heavily guarded alpha male playbook. Christopher Flett, very cool. He's going to tell us how to do business. I'm looking forward to this. Especially since you're my business coach. <laughs> <laughs> and especially since my husband falls into that category. I hear about you know the high level two and three point things from the day. Yeah, so he doesn't tell you stuff. That's no, absolutely it. not. Okay, well, now I guess uh, Christopher, he's the expert, and he'll tell us, but he started his own business when he was 15 years old. Talk about an alpha male and an entrepreneur, and apparently he coerced his parents into lending him, I don't know, its like $300, and started his own lawn business and ended up making more money the entire three months of the summer that most lawyers make in a year. Oh, my goodness. Yes, what a good story. This guy is very cool. And now he's going to share it with us ladies, especially in this book. It's a great book, by the way. So he goes around. He I guess he does coaching and he also does seminars and speeches and uh, tells us how we can run our businesses, entrepreneurs as well, and survive in, in the corporate structure, too. Also, Lauren... We have Scream-Free Parenting. This is for you, since you're in the process of raising a two-year-old, Hal Runkle. And Hal is a marriage and family therapist. He's the new expert on parenting, Um, and not just for young kids. I guess he takes it all the way up into into college-age kids. But anyway, so he's going to be our second guest, but our first guest is ready, and we've given him a, a great opening. Christopher Flett, welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning.
3: Good morning. Thanks for having me.
2: So now, are you still an alpha male, or you have you're not an alpha male anymore?
3: I'm still an alpha male, but I'm a reformed alpha male.
2: Okay, so what is a reformed alpha male? What do you do?
3: Well, the traditional alpha male is the old boys club, you know, uh, sitting in the cigar room and trying to exclude women with uh, from business meetings. The reformed alpha male is normally a bit younger, late 30s, early 40s, who really respect what professional women are bringing to the table.
2: So he's a baby boomer, generation Xer, that kind of guy,
3: right? Uh, Absolutely. Most likely raised by a strong alpha female and an alpha male. Yeah, which is a great combination, isn't it? Absolutely.
2: Yeah. Okay, you say in your book, and you, you sort of preface it by saying that, you know, there's that glass ceiling that yep. men create for women, but that women are the ones who are also involved, you know, in the process. they it's, the Glass ceiling is just not created by men, but also by women.
3: Yeah, the way what I've seen is that men put the glass ceiling in place, and and I'll completely take responsibility as as a gender for doing that, but what's happened is women have held it in place by giving up their power in corporate settings as well as openly attacking each other. And so that ceiling has been in place, but in, in my experience and with my male colleagues, we watch women completely sabotage their careers on a daily basis.
2: All right, so let's be specific, Christopher. How do we do it on a daily basis?
3: Okay, here are a couple things that that I see all the time, and I see with clients and female colleagues. Uh, The first big one is making excuses. And so in the the male world of business, excuses are for losers. And so what we've learned with each other is when we fail, we just admit that there was a problem, and we move on. But what happens is women are much better communicators, so they try to explain and dissect what happened, and men don't want to talk about it. And so when men see women make excuses, men will start to attack. And a great example of that that I saw recently is we had a board meeting on a volunteer board I sit on, and there was a group of men and a group of women. And the woman that was facilitating was about a minute late, like not really late enough to even notice, and people were still getting their coffee and their paperwork and so on. And she walked in and she said, I'm sorry I was late. I had an issue with childcare." Now, if that had been a man, he would have walked in and said, I'm sorry I was late. It won't happen again. But as I- soon as she... Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. As soon as she brought up childcare, all the men started making judgments. How difficult it is to work with working mothers.
2: All right. What I want to start. Okay. She made the excuse and she gave you the reason why she wasn't there because of the yeah. kids. Okay. I also. I is it? Do you say you're sorry? I mean, is that something you should? I think women are always saying there, even if they don't tell you why. But I'm sorry. I'm late. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You don't hear men saying that a lot.
3: Oh yeah. Well, like anytime that we fail or that we mess up, we try to pretend that it never happened. And so by saying I'm sorry, by making an excuse for paying attention to a weakness that we had, and so men just try to skip over and continue on with the positive. I think women are a lot more compassionate of people's time and respectful, and so, when they put those pieces in, men see it as a weakness.
2: Right. you have several things, very specific kinds of things that you talk about in the book. One, banding together. Why banding together with other women is a losing strategy because women tend to do that. I've seen that in the workplace. I've seen it in several different kinds of workplaces. Why do we do it, and how do we get away? And how does it get in the way?
3: Well, men, men have a term for when women get together, and we call it henning. And, and so, when women hen, what happens is business almost always takes the second place. The first place is personal relationships, what's going on in the world, past experiences that they may have shared with each other, and men see this as a waste of time. And so kind of the rule that men have in business, alpha males in particular, is it's all about the money. Because with men in business, it's about billable time and what the bottom line is. And so when men see women's groups getting together and not talking about business, it perpetuates the belief they have that women don't take business seriously.
2: All right, so that's a, that's a no-no. Do not do that in the workplace. Don't hen, as you call it, henning, banding, yeah, ba- banding together. Also, men are more goal-oriented. Women are more process-oriented. How does that fit into the workplace?
3: Yeah, you know, like in my experience, is what I found is women are much more successful on a percentage basis than men are in business. But the difference is men... And then they get ready and then they aim. Where women get ready, they aim, they make sure everything's perfect, they make sure everyone's included, they double check their facts, and by the time it comes to close of the deal, the deal's gone. And so when dealing with a man, a man is goal driven. So when a woman comes in and says, "I want to talk about the next 15 months of business development," about 3 seconds into that conversation, the guy tunes out. Where if she were to say, "I know how we can make $300,000 in the next 15 months. Would you like to know more?" Because he knows what the goal is to the conversation, he'll absolutely listen to the process. But when women start with the process, they lose the man because he doesn't know why he's listening.
2: But you say, Christopher, that alpha males will never
3: ask a woman for help. Is that true? Absolutely. And, And what's happening is we're in a new paradigm of business where men are looking to women for leadership. But if we ask for help, it makes us look weak in our own minds. And so what we quietly do is watch women and try to pick up best practices that we haven't learned from our fathers.
2: So, you start out the book, and I think this is really important uh, who are you that 's the that 's the first chapter right and you list at least i don 't know twenty five or thirty things questions about us ladies that we should answer. And I picked out one for myself that I have a real difficulty with, so I thought I would ask you, uh, to, let's talk about this one. One of the, the things you say, you have a problem if you have strong rules for how people get to interact with you and are quick to take offense if someone oversteps your boundaries. Now, that's one. and We can go, there are, there are a lot of them, but this one sort of hit home with me because, like, yeah. it's, it's, I, it's, I, I tend to do that, and it's particularly if it's an alpha male or somebody says to me something that I find offensive or demeaning, that's it for me. And you're saying, that's not a good thing.
3: Yeah, like, like the, the big thing is all of us are judgmental in business, but what we have to remember is that we have a personal life and a professional life, and men have been taught to be two-faced, having a private face, which we may share with a spouse or with family members, and a public face. And so women, when they feel that they've been wronged, will either openly attack the person they feel wronged by or will just completely dismiss them, just like they're dead. And so my suggestion is business is built on personal relationships, but it's not personal. And so you should have rules for others and boundaries for yourself, but trying to grind people when they don't fit into your model absolutely will not benefit you in a business setting.
2: Right. So talk to us about some of those other statements, you know, that you that you you, uh, you mention in the book uh, that are not good for women. You know, are you the kind of, for instance, and I think I see, you know, I'm, I'm generalizing, obviously, but most women, they want to make, you know, you you address these issues. Uh, they want to make people feel comfortable at work. They're always the one to plan the, the birthday parties. Uh, they always want to make sure that everybody likes them, all of those kinds of things. uh yes. get, Go
3: ahead. Well, yeah, look, that's one of the masks. I identify five masks in the in the book that I, that I see commonly. And, then again, we're generalized. Some women may not wear the mask, but in my experience, every woman wears at least one of the five. And so what you're talking about is the mother mask. And this is the woman that hears somebody sniffling, so says, can I get you a cup of tea, or you should drink orange juice, or you should take an echinacea, or I don't know if you knew or not, but it's Heather's birthday, sign her birthday card, or you may bring cookies for the office. And so... On an objective level, there's nothing wrong with that. But subjectively, when alpha males are watching that and they're busy building business, they're thinking, wow, you are absolutely not an equal. Because when you're baking cookies and when you're trying to make nice or when you're walking card around or birthday card around to everyone, I'm busy closing deals. You are absolutely not an equal. And so my recommendation is... For women in the workplace, if you want to keep a professional image of yourself, remove those masks and authentically be a professional. Don't play into the stereotypes that men will have you preset to.
2: So, never bake cookies. Never talk about it.
3: <laughs> well, uh, and my, my thing is, I'm isn't, a that what Hil- pl- isn't that what Hillary told us, like t- eight years,
2: ten years ago?
3: She- well, you know, it's interesting, and I, and I say to clients, like I'm six foot six, I'm three hundred pounds, and I'm the an ex bouncer. And so, imagine me walking around a corporate office having cookies.
1: <laughs> like, would you see
3: that? Or me you saying, here, sign Bobby's birthday card. It's his 40th birthday. I wouldn't do that because I'm too busy building business. And so what I recommend to my, recommend to my clients is, before you're going to do something, consider what would it look like if I did it. And often women are, are really focused on building the personal relationships in their business setting, but often to the detriment of their professional reputation.
2: All right, great advice. That really makes a lot of sense. It does. And when you say, think about, yeah, would you do it? 300 pounds, al- former alpha male, uh, reformed, reformed alpha male. Reformed <laughs> alpha male. So, you know, use that as your role model, ladies. Don't do it. Okay, you said there are five. Give us another one.
3: Uh, another one is the man. And this is a woman who pretends to like male things that she doesn't like. And so, you know, like I've got a lot of female clients that golf because they enjoy golf, but I've met even more women that take golfing lessons because they think that's the price of admission to get into the guy's club, and that's absolutely wrong. And so when a man thinks that a woman is wearing the man mask, he'll bait her with questions to see if she's authentic or not, and if she's not, he'll dismiss her immediately. And a really clear example of that is, I was in Detroit a few weeks ago on a, a conference, and we were out with a female colleague, and she, we were at a hockey game. And she said, you know, do you like hockey? or Canadian. You must like it. I'm like, I love it. And she goes, I love Wayne Gretzky. And so I bait her by saying, how do you think he'll do this year?" Knowing that he's retired many years ago, she goes, I think he's great. He'll probably score 500 goals. And so none of the alpha males corrected her, but that was our litmus test to see if she was... You know, kind of playing a role for us for being authentic.
2: Yeah, so that was it for her, right? Her credibility credibility went down the tubes. It was over.
3: Well, now I know that I can't trust her because she may tell me things that may not necessarily be true, but that she thinks I'll approve of. Okay.
2: So authenticity. Absolutely. Okay. We have about, okay, we got two minutes left. Let's do a couple of them right now because these are are so practical and so easy to work with. I mean, so, you know, it's easy, or it should be, not to bake cookies and be authentic.
3: Yes. Well, and and another big one that comes up is personal issues to work. And so you have a personal life and a professional life. And so this sounds really tough, and it's tough for women to hear, but the people that you work with are not your friends. You're, they're your co-workers. And you can be friendly with them and you can enjoy them, but don't share aspects of your personal life because there's no such thing as a secret in your corporate world. And so I've seen women come to, come to work and talk about their husband cheating or they're having issues with their kids or, 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 and all of that information seeps out of that one-on-one relationship to other co-workers and undermines a woman's value. And so my thing is, have your personal life life separate from your professional life. And with, with a company that I sold last year, a research firm I started, I had 47 employees and they thought my wife's name was Judy, not Jackie, because I didn't bring up my wife at work. I brought up work at work. And so I think that's, that's a tough part a lot of my female clients have but is completely the foundation of keeping your two lives separate.
2: Yeah, and I think that is the most difficult thing for women to do, to be able not to share their personal life at work, because that's that male-female brain thing. I want to talk to you about that more when we come back. Christopher Flett, What Men Don't Tell Women About Business, opening up the heavily guarded alpha male playbook. Don't go away. We'll be back in a few minutes. I'm Catherine Sox, and you're listening to VoiceAmerica.com Women.
0: Talk with you, not at you. We're Voice America, Women's Radio Network, the new face of talk radio.
4: I have three children, and I've been raising my 16-year-old sister.
0: Mary Gallagher and her family shared a two-bedroom apartment with eight people. Now Habitat for Humanity is helping her build a simple, decent, affordable home of her own.
4: When we first found out that we were getting a Habitat home, it was like a dream. I kept saying, don't anybody wake me up.
0: Not only is Mary helping build her own home, she'll buy it with a no-profit, zero-interest mortgage to keep it affordable.
1: Habitat came out and built my home, and when Mary started building her house, I wanted to come out and
5: give a hand. We're not just building Mary's house, we're building a neighborhood.
4: There's several more to be built this year, and I look forward to working on each of their houses and seeing the joy of their face when they open the door to their brighter future.
0: Habitat for Humanity. Building homes, changing lives support the work in your community visit habitat.org i feel very blessed god has answered all of my prayers we are home Ladies, are you looking for a place where you can talk candidly about anything and everything? Well, here it is. Timeless Women Speak on the Voice America Women's Channel. We'll talk about sexuality, age-proofing your career, finding your passion and purpose, keeping your brain power, keeping your marriage fresh, dating for grown-ups, plastic surgery, surviving our beauty culture, and much more. Tune in Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific to Timeless Women Speak with Dr. Nancy O'Reilly on the Voice America Women's Channel. channel radio that talks with you not at you voice america women's radio
1: network you're listening to the Catherine zock show on the voice america women's channel if you'd like to join our conversation this morning call now the toll-free number is 866-472-5788 that number again is 866-472-5788
2: I'm Catherine Zuck, your social worker with a microphone. Welcome back to VoiceAmerica.com, women. Joining me this morning is Christopher Flett, and he's the author of the new book, What Men Don't Tell Women About Business, opening up the heavily guarded alpha male playbook. And you are really giving us some real insight, Christopher. By the way, your book is great, I have to say. I really, Thank it, you. It, yeah. Practical. This is what I like practical books, things that I can use, and and you know you can just you know once you read it you can go out and do it. You, and I know that you practice what you preach. Also, okay. So before we took the break, we had kind of been going through the things that women do at work that are not good for business, for their business, or for anyone else's. And uh, one of them is you know socializing, not being authentic, sharing stuff, real personal stuff. Um, I want to continue with that one because women have a lot of difficulty. Holding back, not talking, not sharing, because that's, isn't that sort of how the female brain operates?
3: Well, yeah, I think women build intimacy through communications. And in my experience, that's, uh, it's, it's a support but also a detriment because if you have women or uh, other women that you work with in a work setting, everything is great until something goes sideways. And it's another point I bring up in the book is, is that women will openly declare attack on each other if they feel that they've been wronged. And so the difference with that is if, if I have an issue with another guy, you will never know. I may pull him aside and say we need to go have a discussion privately and I'll discuss the matter with him and resolve it. Where women, what I've found in the workplace is they'll have an issue with a coworker and then they go out separately and try to build up teams. So they explain the situation to other women in the, in the environment and say, you know, am I overreacting? And if the other woman says you're not overreacting, she tabs that person up as part of her team. If the woman says, I think you are overreacting, then she goes, whatever, you don't know, and dismisses her. And so women will air dirty laundry in a corporate setting. And that's my concern with sharing too many intimate stories. All right. So
2: what they should do is just deal directly with that person. That's what, that, that's what a man will do. That's what you're and, saying.
3: And yep. Absolutely. And, and your yep. friends are from 5 p.m. to 9 a.m. Your coworkers are from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. And so understanding the separation, you can still be friendly, But just keep your personal stories personal. Don't share them in the workplace. Yeah, and if
2: you have a need to share, then share it. Aren't you saying then go home, share it with your girlfriends at home and not with your coworkers at work?
3: Absolutely, or share it with colleagues in different industries. But don't do it all in your own backyard.
2: Yes, because you also talk about how we measure other men in business. And one of the things that uh, one of the things that you bring up is we men we support men even when they are down other men will support other men which women don't do they do exactly the opposite explain that
3: well it, in my experience what I've seen is is a guy and I'm talking kind of uh, figuratively if I see a guy fall down that I dislike like I really dislike I'll actually lean over and pull him up without even looking at him just pull him up and keep on walking because at some point in the future if I need to be picked up I assume for him to respect the honor code that men have among each other, where we keep each other secret and we don't leave any man behind. Women, on the other hand, once one woman does something to upset another woman, they openly attack. And so what pops in my head is the whole Martha Stewart thing. When Martha Stewart ran into some trouble, all the men that I know of went, you know, she made a mistake. You know, I think she's learned from it. it. Like, good enough. Women pulled out the stilettos and started stomping on Martha, saying, you know, you betrayed us. You have you misled us, and and women will grind, grind, grind each other openly, and I think it creates a real environment of mistrust between women. That whole sisterhood thing, it looks good, but I don't believe that the core of integrity is there as strong as men have it as a brotherhood.
2: All right. So, w- Well, maybe we just have to change that sort of that definition of sisterhood. What does it mean? I mean, it, it should represent different kinds of behavior in the workplace. Isn't that what you're saying?
3: Well, I am. And I think the new model of business is based on abundance. The old model, which was the old alpha male model, was there's only one pie, so I'm going to try to get as much of it as, as I can for myself. But the new model is, and, and you and I know there's more clients than any of us can handle. There's more opportunities than any of us can handle. And so we don't have to fight over the scraps anymore. And so what I found is that women have tried to fight to get on the guy's team rather than respecting what they're bringing to the table. And the example I love to use is that first apprentice show. It was women against men. Donald Trump split eight women against eight men. And for weeks, the women's team beat the men every week. And they didn't just kind of beat them, they annihilated them. And so when after six weeks there were only two men left, Donald Trump split the men, had the men choose women for the team. And over the next six weeks, the women annihilated each other. They forgot the sisterhood, and they started using the secrets they had shared with each other to attack each other. At the end of that show, two men were left. And I think it's a prime example of women not supporting women in business. All
4: right.
2: Now, let's go on to the... Well, have we covered all of them? Because that we've done... You said there were three.
3: Well, there's actually 17 in total in oh, the book. 17. All right. Well, let's... Yeah. <laughs>
2: We're not going to get to all 17, Christopher. All
3: right. No, and maybe another big one that that probably a lot of people will resonate with is not getting to the point. And so because men are goal-driven, we want to know what you're trying to say to us immediately. But what will happen is a woman will go in the office and say, Hi, I have about 25 things on a task list I want to go through. As soon as the guy hears that, he fakes a BlackBerry call, he tells her he can't meet with her right now, or he says, can you just email it to me? And that's his way of saying, I'm not prepared to put in the time without knowing the outcome. And so one practice I have clients do is get to the point right away. In ten words or less, tell him what you need to tell him and try to pique his interest. Let him know why he should selfishly care. They continue to listen, and I think that's where the frustration between men and women communicating in the workplace. Really yeah, I think that is of...
2: such a good point, and I'm going to interrupt you because I find it all the time, especially in radio, where things happen quickly, and sure. I'll get long emails from women and explaining you need two sentences. Can you do the show or not? Or voicemail, for instance, <laughs> <laughs> and that's all I need to know. and What time can you be there? But on voice and also on voicemail, it's the same thing. I, you know, I, these long, long messages, and, and, and they tend to be from women, not all the time. Yes. But you're so right when you just want to get to the bottom line.
3: What haven't you ever had where somebody will leave you a long voicemail and then write you a long email, And you're like, are you kidding me? Like, yeah. get to the point. Give me, give it to me in a sentence or ten seconds on the voicemail. Well, then,
2: Christopher, by, for by the end, I can't remember what they wanted. I mean, I have to go back and look. <laughs> like, what's the point of this whole thing? Right. Okay, so to the point.
3: Absolutely. Just get, get to the point. And so when, when dealing with women, I think, like when a woman deals with a woman. You can give a bit more flavor because I think women want to know the context of what you're talking about. But when it comes to an alpha male, the reason why women get dismissed or get talked over in a board meeting is they're talking too much without getting to the point, and it it really frustrates the alpha male. All right. Now, what about sex in the workplace,
2: men and women? Now, you've you've got – it's not all – the men and women working together, what do you do? There's a lot of issues, sexual harassment, having an affair with somebody at work. How
3: does that get in the way? Well, I think men have been taught that you you keep some real segregation between your physical life, personally and professionally. And men are taught by our by our male mentors, don't ever engage in relationships in the workplace because if it goes sideways and there's a better chance it will than it won't, it's going to be uncomfortable for everyone, especially if it's somebody underneath you, like that that's a lower level in the corporation. But the really tough thing is it's a double edged sword. If a guy sleeps with a coworker, a female coworker. His reputation really doesn't get touched. If a woman sleeps with a coworker, she becomes that girl who slept with Tom. That's her new title. She can erase off her business card, vice president of whatever, and she now becomes known to every other alpha male as the woman who slept with Tom. So my recommendation is, if you meet the love of your life in the workplace that you're in, and you, you know what I mean, you love them so much you can't handle it, change jobs.
2: So if you really think this, this man is somebody who's going to be in your future for a long time, maybe Absolutely. married or you're going to live together, whatever, then get out. Who gets out, though? Does she, one has to leave, or would well, he leave?
3: Well, my <laughs> recommendation, of course, as an alpha male is whoever earns more should stay.
2: Yeah. Oh, that's good advice. I like that. Okay. Right. So, yeah. Well, but, you know, I do have to say, though, traditionally, though, you know, the old traditionals, that old generation, that World War II generation, yes. I mean, they traditionally, you say that they didn't sleep with anyone in the workplace, probably not with equals because they didn't have equals there, but they slept with their secretaries.
3: That Absolutely. Was, and, and, and that's the old alpha. And, you know, what, what's interesting is men fear women in the workplace because of that reputation, is that men really today don't know how to engage with women. And this is something we cover in the book, in that men have a fear of women for two reasons. One, sexual harassment, because I might say to you, that's a lovely jacket you're wearing. And I might mean it complimentary, and you might take it one of two ways. You might take it as a compliment, or if you've ever been harassed before, that's a harassing statement. The other reason we fear women is we've seen women break bad before. And what I mean break bad is get emotionally aggressive when they feel they've been wronged. And so when men are standing at the water cooler and they're talking, and you walk up and they stop talking, most likely they were telling a joke that they would have to pay $50,000 for if it ever came up in a sexual harassment suit. And so women will say, and I've seen this lots of times, no, no, guys, it's okay. I enjoy colorful jokes. There is no joke I can tell you I've ever heard that's worth me paying $50,000 to tell you. (laughs)
2: <laughs> That's great advice. It's a sad, you know I, somehow when you say it though it sounds so sad. I mean we have to be so guarded. Do we have to be really guarded when you in, in the workplace when you have men and women working together like this on the same level?
3: Well, you know, like I think we all need to move towards being more authentic. And you know, recently I've had some interesting media coverage that say I'm a shock jock of business management. And there's there's female reporters and editors saying this because I'm so blunt with the message. But you know, in my world, and probably in a lot of the worlds of your listeners, like we get paid by the hour. And so by mincing words, you're wasting time and you're wasting money. And so I don't know that politically correct is really that correct anymore. I I think that we need to have some direct conversations. The kicker is in a work environment, a junior can be direct to a senior, but it could cost them their job. A senior could be direct to a junior, but it could get them charged in a harassment case. And so why I'm most pleased about this book is it's the first time an alpha male has authentically given a message to women without fear of repercussion.:
2: yeah, and, and, and you do it's a wonderful book. It really is. I want to ask you you know you're, you go across the country. I'm sure you're doing book signings and those kinds of things. but do you, yeah. do you have seminars and coaching sessions where any of our listeners, let's say they want to not just read the book but be in touch with you du- directly?
3: Absolutely. I try to answer a lot of my own mail and so we, we, we've launched a new website just because of the overwhelming response to the book and I, I toured 60 cities last year. And so our website is www.ghostceo.com and that, that's our coaching program is we act like ghost CEOs for women's careers. And so an objective, sober second thought without any judgment and really trying to perpetuate women moving ahead professionally on their own line. And so this website we're really, really proud of.
2: That's exciting. I bet you have thousands. I I I can't imagine, you know, women um getting in touch with you, emailing you, having you coach them. Um, uh, Christopher, well, you can buy the book also online at your website, I assume, bookstores everywhere? Uh, yeah,
3: Amazon. It's in all the Barnes and & Nobles and Amazon and so on in the U.S., yes.
2: Terrific. Thanks so much for being on the show today. I will go directly to your website, as I'm sure many of the other ladies who are listening will do. And good luck with the book, What Men Don't Tell Women About Business, opening up the heavily guarded alpha male Playbook. Great having you on the show today. Thanks. Thanks so much. It was great, uh, Lauren. He was fantastic. Are you going? Are you great. doing?
3: it <laughs> I'm taking notes.
2: Yeah, I know. But this book is it's so it really is real practical. It, it sort of gets us ladies in the boardroom in a different way. Uh, it take, some light on how men think, also what it does. Yes, men, it like, does. Oh, that's a, I, I could see my husband saying that, but he would never like he hasn't articulated it in that way. So yeah. it, it, exactly. And uh, we have Screen Free Parenting coming up next with Hal Runkle. I'm Catherine Soss with Lauren Beller on Voice America, voiceamerica.com women.
0: Talk radio that informs, entertains, and enlightens you. Voice America, Women's Radio
5: Network. Inner Health Through Homeopathy, hosted by Melissa Birch, CCH, with Dr. Tim Stryker. This show features a weekly discussion about homeopathy, a holistic approach to health care, which treats ailments by bringing the entire body into balance. Homeopathy encompasses and examines the makeup of the entire person instead of focusing solely on a disease or ailment. The healing process involves physical, mental, and emotional changes which come from a wellness within. Homeopathic remedies go far beyond an alleviation of symptoms. They can restore harmony to the body and open paths to a higher level of awareness. Each week, Melissa Birch, CCH, explores a different health issue and individual healing processes with Tim Stryker, M.D. Tune in every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel for inner health through homeopathy. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more. You just have to
4: impress her. Okay, but how? Just... Don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, uh, 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 uh,
2: uh. There you go.
4: You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the
0: Ad Council. We don't beat you over the head with our opinion. And we listen to yours. The new face of talk radio, Voice America Women's Radio Network.
1: You're listening to The Catherine Zoch Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788.
2: Welcome back to the Catherine Knox Show. I am Catherine Knox, your social worker with a microphone on Voice America Women, voiceamerica.com women. Joining me this morning is author of Screen-Free Parenting, Hal Runkel. He is a licensed marriage and family therapist and one of America's newest parenting experts. And he brings a powerful, revolutionary approach to parenting that has shown remarkable results for tens of thousands of families. And uh, his new book provides parents... With all they'll need to handle the 21st century child. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Hal. Well, I can't. Is Hal on? Not connected to me. Am I connected to you, Lauren? Or
4: I can hear. I can hear everybody. Oh, I can hear Hal, and Hal can hear both of you. And now how I can I, hear you, Hal. How about <laughs> if I start screaming?
2: Start screaming—that's what you have to do. (laughs) Exactly. Give me a yell, and then I'll know you're there. Okay. Exactly. Thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, great having you on the show. Okay, I've raised three boys. I'm going to just give you our background, my background, and my co-host. I've raised three boys now in their twenties. I must admit, I was. Yeah, I was a screamer. And my co-host Lauren is just in the just at the other end of the parenting. uh, where spectrum.
4: Spectrum. Spectrum, yeah. A
2: spectrum. She has a daughter who's almost two years old. So okay. we're great candidates for your book. Parenting is not about kids, you say. It's about parents.
4: It's not. But you know what? That is hard to believe because as soon as we have kids, we are uh, told this lie by everywhere around us that now my whole life is about the kids. Everything's all about the kids. Mothers, especially, have been sold this lie. It says you're, that's your identity. So, give up continuing to be a sexy, independent woman. You now change your email address to com. <laughs> yeah, and get your and haircut
2: and in one of those it, little bobs. The bob
4: haircut, yeah. right? And the uh, the denim overalls, <laughs> and the cat shoes, and get the minivan with stickers emblazoned all over them. With, with our kids' names on the stickers, shouting to the whole world who really owns the van <laughs> and the rest of our lives because it's all about the kids. Yeah,
2: it's all about the kids. Okay, so but what do problem. we do? You say that's not
4: true. Absolutely not because I cannot orbit my life around my kids without giving them the impression that the world revolves around them. And then I have the nerve to call them self centered when they act that way. But I help create that by saying it's all about you. And, mm-hmm. you, and then you know what happens? I get they exercise a mind of their own. They just act like kids and then I get resentful. These kids today. They just don't seem to appreciate all the sacrifices I'm making on their behalf and I yell. And I get reactive. Not ever realizing I shouldn't have ever gotten there in the first place.
2: But then how do you prevent that? I mean, isn't that sort of just, I mean, as I'm reading your book, I'm thinking it's kind of like that natural reaction. I mean, I was thinking, Hal, about my three boys took them out, not to great restaurants because obviously that was not a place for them when they were under the age of six. Sure, it's
4: going to ruin your time,
2: too. to ruin my time, but, you know, there they were at McDonald's climbing under the chairs, throwing the french fries. What are you supposed to do?
4: Well, question, taking three young boys to McDonald's in the first place. But (laughs) certainly you know what What I have to be absolutely committed to do is keeping my cool. Because what happens when we lose it with our kids, and we've all done that, right? We've all lost it with our kids. What happens is the it in that sentence is our adulthood. That the very thing that differentiates us from our kids is the very thing we sacrificed in the heat of the moment simply because we felt all this anxiety or embarrassment. And so then we wonder why the next time we have to work even harder and yell even louder. Because what we are doing is telling our kids, you know what, I am not in control of me. You are. I am not an adult who can actually give you leadership. You know what, you are in control. Not just of yourselves, you are in control of me. Because all you have to do is say no as a toddler, or all you have to do is disobey me. All you have to do is break curfew and I flip out. Which means, you know what, I can't be trusted. I can't be trusted to do anything other than act just as immature as you.
2: So what you're saying, Hal, is you have to learn to calm down, control your own emotional reactivity.
4: It's your number one job as a parent. I tell a story in the third chapter of my book about my son climbing on the outsides of the stairs. Right, He's two years old and he's climbing up, just hanging on to the banister pickets.
2: Which is what you know? two-year-olds do.
4: Exactly. That's their job. Exactly. <laughs> I'm at the top of the stairs and I see my son. I mean, he's about halfway up. So his feet are about five feet off the ground. Nothing below him the hardwood floors. So I'm scared to death, right? But what happens if I give in to my panic? What happens if I lunge for him? If I yell? It just increases the chances that he'll fall. That's the power of emotional reactivity. Is It doesn't just, doesn't just make things worse. It actually creates the very outcomes we were hoping to avoid in the first place.
2: That's a great example because that's really that's a crisis situation, and and I, I had a similar one myself. I had sibling sibling rivalry with all three of the boys, and when Imagine, the new baby yeah. was born, in the living room, one of the the the, the three year old picks up the baby. I turn my back for two seconds, and right. he's standing beside this fireplace, a brick fireplace, ready to drop the baby onto the brick fireplace and it's similar to your story and I maintained my cool and
4: I talked him down
2: and I talked him out of it and everything was fine but those are great examples
4: when the stakes are
2: really high
4: and and what we have to see is every interaction we have with our kids demands the same thing because the stakes are really high in the type of relationship dynamic that we're building I mean let's let's flash forward let's say you've been telling your daughter your whole life you can talk to me about anything you can tell me anything well, let's say she comes to you and says, I really want to have sex with my boyfriend. What? Oh my gosh, I can't handle it. What's his name? What's, you know, what's, we're never going to let you see him again. Never going to let you out of the house. Da, 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 da. What have you just done? You have just eliminated yourself as a resource. She's not going to come talk to you again. And you've just created Romeo and Juliet. She's now going to run to that guy or some other guy looking for the acceptance of her burgeoning sexuality that she was hoping to get from her parent. But because her parent couldn't handle it in the moment, it created the worst outcome possible. Right,
2: so you talk about very specifically how to create this kind of physical and emotional space, a a place for your children.
4: That's what's absolutely needed, is recognizing this child is not any longer connected to me physically, attached to me. It's a separate human being, and my job is to help nurture that, because eventually I'm launching them out into a life of their own. So what can I do to help them? feel solid in themselves, to feel responsible for themselves, to become good decision-makers. I have to let them have a little bit of space from me. Now, obviously, the space from me is going to be less when they're little than it is when they're older, but it's still the same principle. They need chances to make up, make their own decisions. I mean, we all know kids have a mind of their own. There's nothing we can do to eliminate that, so why not nurture it?
2: All right. so it's different for a 2-year-old, different for el- elementary school. And then but in, how, you know the stakes get higher when they get into middle exactly. school and you mentioned, you know, I, I want to sleep with my boyfriend and right. those ki- yeah, then it's like, you know, you can go talk about screaming, but uh yeah. or not. I mean, that may not be the issue with that parent, but whatever the toxic issue is for that particular parent, um, should we like how do you calm yourself <laughs> down? How do you specifically create that distance?
4: you make it first of all you just have to make it your commitment that you're going to parent out of principle not out of fear and that's the biggest choice that we have to make is what is my leadership in this home going to be characterized by characterized by my anxious fear that some bad things going to happen and my kids are going to make bad choices and so I'm not going to let them I'm going to restrict their freedom restrict their freedom and then when they're 18 say here's your freedom and then be surprised when they fail out of college no I, I'm going to parent out of principle. And what is the principle is that I am preparing my kids for a life without me. That's the reality that they know, the reality that I know. So how am I doing that now, even when they're two? Because the reason why two-year-olds get such a bad rap for going for the terrible twos is because that's their first time of really asking for separation from you. You know, let me do it. Let me do it. And saying no, saying no, saying no. Those, it's not a demon child possessed, even though it sometimes feels that way. It is a child beginning to exercise that, wow, I am my own person. I'm so that's able- that concept, now is
2: separating and individuating. And that happens about two, two and a half years old, developmentally. It
4: get there, exactly. And it really happens when they're teenagers as well. And so often every battle we have with our kids is because we don't like it. It creates anxiety for us. And we would rather, you know... We'd rather flash freeze them at eight years old because that's such a much easier age, you know, or that I just want to keep them at this age forever. Are you out of your mind? Yeah. Well, and
2: is it easier age or is it just because we we are in control or we feel like we're in control at age Sometimes. Eight? I don't yeah. think
4: there is an easy age. I don't think there should be. Parenting how, is not only hard. I think it's supposed to be hard.
2: How old? you have two girls? How old are your girls? I have
4: two boys. Oh, I, you- I, mean, I, have two, I have one of each. I have a 10-year-old girl and an 8-year-old boy. And uh, thankfully, my experience as a family therapist has comes through more in the book than my experience as a parent because I struggle with this just like everybody else. Yeah, well,
2: it's, it's easier to give others <laughs> advice than it is. Oh, no, that's for sure. Right, than to do it yourself. All right, so we're talking about this concept of separating, letting your children become individuals. And there are different stages. I guess two and a half is when it really—that's primary stage when but it begins. But you can start
4: it when they're one years old. Look, you uh, look, you throw that toy, then that toy's going in time out for an hour.
2: What about when I was reading your book? I was thinking, you know, I think, and I bring this up a lot on the show, uh, you know, we talk a lot about kids today and being independent and, you know, they're doing all kinds of things and a lot of competition, but I'm finding there's this. Connection between parents and children with, and I, I mentioned this probably each show, but with cell phones and IMs and emailings, and there's like I, I know women who speak to their daughters three times a day, and they're in college. Yeah. How does that fit into the picture in terms of? When well, you you're know, talking?
4: What's the the irony of getting more connected through technology is it's not reducing our anxiety about being away from each other. It's only increasing it. I totally agree, yes. I mean, think about this. A hundred years ago, you send your kids off to college, and it maybe takes a few days on a carriage to get to college. And so then they, the only way they communicate back to you is probably through a letter that then you don't get for another week or two. And so you watch your child ro- ride off into the sunset, and you don't even hear if they make it to college safely for three weeks. But so we're now. going to stop
2: on that because I wanted to say this is, this is, this is something that I wanted to, to continue with after the break. Okay. We have to take just a short break on VoiceAmerica.com Women, Women, not Woman, Women. I'm Catherine Suss, I'm your social worker with a microphone and we will be back in a few minutes. Don't go away.
5: Part of those fad diets and exercise routines that you don't stick with? Want to find a better way to incinerate fat and energize your life without those worthless pills or gimmicks? Then tune in every Friday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific to Finish Truth with hosts Zach Hunt and AJ Roberts. Achieve your weight loss and fitness goals and maintain them for the rest of your life. The rest of your life. That's Fitness Truth, Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel.
0: When I have an asthma attack, I feel scared. It's like tiny nails in the air poke my lungs. I start to cough. Did you know your child's asthma attacks can be triggered by things like shower curtains, a blanket, even a teddy bear? I feel like I'm choking. And there are many other things in your home and your child's classroom you may not know about. For the latest information, call 1-866-NO-ATTACKS. Sometimes I, my parents have to take me to the hospital. Help prevent your child's asthma attacks and avoid the emergency room. Call toll-free 1-866-NO-ATTACKS. That's 1-866-662-8822. Or visit www.noattacks.org. I don't want to feel like a fish with no water. Brought to you by the EPA and the Ad Council. Let's face it. Hormones happen. Whether you're a male or female, hormones have an impact on your overall well-being. Dr. Hart brings to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel timely topics that answer your lifelong questions about hormones in men, women, and teens. Tune in to Optimal Wellness every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Optimal Wellness. Live life well. Live life long. Live life to the fullest.
1: Welcome
2: back to the Catherine Stock Show. I'm Catherine Stock, your social worker with a microphone on VoiceAmerica.com. Women. And joining me this morning is author Hal Runkle. He is also a licensed marriage and family therapist and author of Scream-Free Parenting. To become a scream-free parent, this new approach to parenting, which was developed by Hal says you learn to get let go of the need to be the perfect parent with the perfect techniques to raising perfect kids. The truth is... That you don't have to know all the right answers at all the right times in order to be the right parent you've always wanted to be. You just have to learn to calm down. Great advice. Not easy yes, to do, absolutely. but, um, but before we took the break, I think you made a really good point. Uh, let's, let's talk about that again because you said, you know, and, it, you know, when you can't communicate in, in a second, you know, on IMing or emailing or phones, uh, cell phones, uh, and, you know, 20, 30 years ago, you sent your kids to college, and uh, well, maybe even a little bit longer than that, right?
4: And uh, sure, sure. But 20, 30 years ago, you still maybe it would take a while to get a phone call back. But now, you know what? If they haven't called within uh, two minutes, then uh, we're, we're worried.
2: So you're immediately and you're anxious because you're immediately responding to them. First of all, in an environment that you're not even in. So right. You, right.
4: Right.
2: Uh, yeah. And and it's just
4: giving us a, It's giving us a technological tether.
2: So what should we A do?
4: Technological umbilical cord. Yeah. To keep our kids connected, because we have to know that they're safe in order for us to regain our calm. So we have to know that they're doing, making the right decisions in order for us to stay cool. And what that means is, they have all the power over us, and they don't respect people that they have power over. We come across as very needy. And when's the last time you respected an emotionally needy person? You want to know why your kids don't respect you, think about how needy you are. Whenever I get in a needy way, I can just tell that people are kind of annoyed with me. People are saying, kind of, oh, man, why do I have to keep placating him? My wife, why do I have to call him or my kids? Why do I have to tell him that I love him? You know what? What what kids need most are parents who do not need them. It is absolutely free. Message to our kids. I don't need you to respect me. I don't need you to obey me. I don't need you to bring your bike off the garage, off the driveway and put it in the garage. I don't need that from you. And it's unfair of me to need that from you. I'm letting you know that if you choose to leave it out, then I'm going to take it to Goodwill in the morning. Because that's good for you. And I don't have to yell, rant and rave, say, how many times am I going to tell you? Just once I want to hear a kid say, I don't know, how many? Why are you asking me that question?
2: But don't you think, that as parents, that we're, we're telling them one thing, as you say, but we're the emotionally we're doing something else? We're saying, you need me. You're dependent on me. And what you're saying is that's not the case. We're really, as parents, dependent on our children emotionally, and we have exactly. to let go.
4: Well, we think creating this mutual dependency is the way relationships work, that I need them and they need me, and that's how we work together. Except that's not, how, that's not preparing them for a life without me, and that's my job. Unless I want them financially, emotionally dependent upon them upon me when they're twenty five, thirty. But the, and that,
2: isn't that what we're complaining about? Oh, my twenty five year old is back living at home, and I don't know what the statistics are, Hal. But I can hearing. Oh, it's here- an epidemic. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. So it we we've created that.
4: Sure. I was just in, here's, here's what we've created. I was just in line at the airport, and uh, there was a guy who was really antsy. Now we were already in the uh, the speed up line, um, you know, for those of us that travel a lot. But he was still just really antsy. wanted to, you know, cut in front of a lot of people, and finally a security person said, "Sir, you can't cut." He's like, "Oh, my plane's leaving in thirty minutes," and he just belts out loud, "Why don't they have a line for people who are running late?" <laughs> <laughs> said, "Thanks for the material, buddy. I appreciate it." You know? <laughs> if you had that line, then what incentive would you have for being early? And that's what we've created by constantly telling our kids, look, I can't handle watching you suffer. I can't handle letting you taste the consequences of your choices because I need you to be uh, better performing than that, and I need myself to be a little bit uh, less anxious. So I need you to calm my anxiety, so I'll rescue you.
2: Such great advice, I'll tell you. And I I have so many antidotes for that. I mean, I have... uh, A girlfriend who's always, for her college age and and after, children making their plane reservations because she says she she has all these inns, she can get the cheap tickets. And I said to her, you know, I know you know how to do it. That's a given. But they don't know how to do it, and they're never going to learn how to do it if you don't let them make their own plane reservations or travel reservations or travel plans.
4: But we don't like them to do that because you know what that means? That means they no longer need us. And then if our kids don't need us, then what does that say about us? Maybe that means we're losing our worth in the world because we put so much of our self worth in our kids. Looking for them to validate us.
2: Uh they do have to validate us, but I think and I'm sort no, of No, they know, don't have
4: to validate us. They can't validate us, that's the lie. No one can validate us as human beings.
2: We have to validate so, ourselves.
4: Absolutely, but certainly not kids.
2: We we want them to that. we I guess
4: we crave it. We
2: crave it, yes. That's the word. We crave it. We crave being validated by our children.
4: Well, and so it, uh, But it creates all the problems we later complain about. The fact that they seem to have power over us. The fact that they don't respect us. That they don't appreciate all the sacrifices we make on their behalf. That's because that's not their job, one thing. And two, I'm not behaving in respect-worthy ways. I'm looking for my kids to make good grades so that I can put the bumper sticker on the back of my car that says I'm a proud parent of an honor roll student. And I say it's for their self-esteem, but why am I putting it on my car then?
2: I, when my son got into Brown, I put it right on the back of my <laughs>
5: station exactly. wagon.
2: And my son said to me, what are you doing that for? And he said to me, this is exactly what you're saying, Hal. He said, that's for you, that's not for me. It's a, it's a... <laughs> he
4: Exactly. Yeah. Which I always wonder, what happens if they don't make the owner roll the next semester? You rip it off and there's this sticky residue of what you once were. <laughs> what you could have been for me. That's how things get backwards in the family is when we get needy of them. The truth is, no one can meet my needs. No one can meet my emotional needs. No one can take care of me physically. No one can take care of me spiritually. Those, that's my job. And The more I do that, the better off I am for other people the better, more available I am to other people because I don't need them to take care of me in return. I don't need my kids to respond well to me. You know what? Sometimes they're not going to. I don't need people, everybody to like me all the time because that's not going to happen. But it means that I'm not going to have to get my validation from everybody else. This is a principle I call putting on your own oxygen mask first. Putting on yes. Yeah, we've all heard the plane, the message in the airplane, right?
2: Yeah, which goes against every mother's grain. Let's face it; I mean, it's just it,
4: it, Exactly, my instinct is I'm going to take care of my kids first, right? Yeah. this is all about my kids. But there's amazing wisdom from the airlines that says if I'm not if I'm out of breath, I can't help anybody. But that's how so many of us live as parents, out of breath. I mean, look at the way we we make a wonderful, healthy, balanced breakfast for our kids, and then we rush out the door with coffee and a donut. We don't take care of ourselves physically. What's the number one health crisis in this country? Obesity. Because we're not very good at taking care of ourselves. Because it feels selfish. Because in order to say yes to the gym, I've got to say no to time with my family. And that feels selfish. But what I want to help folks see is no, it's the most selfless thing you can do, is take care of yourself for their benefit. So that you're more available to them, so that you're more active, so that you're more present organizing your life in a way that you are the healthiest, most well-functioning you you can be for other people, rather than just struggling to do everything to please everybody and then hopefully that they do back in return for you. Yeah. Well, you, you become, become
2: a more interesting parent. If well, that's
4: you, for sure. Yeah,
2: and you're going to bring more interesting and, and actually more wisdom to the table if you, if you separate from your kids, I think. And
4: you're going to be active. You're going to be a lot more active as a person, certainly, if you take care of yourself physically and you're just going to be more enjoyable and less irritable.
2: I think one of the things that you may approve of, and I want to bring this up as an example, uh, I met, you know, when my sons would call, you know, when they freshmen in college, and as I said, I had three of them I would call and ask advice about certain things. I would say, you know, I'm not sure that I can give you the advice because I'm not there anymore. I don't have all the facts. I'm not in your environment anymore, you know. Get advice. if It's you know taking courses or whatever it is. You know go to a counselor. Uh, not that I'm not there for you, but it's not like when you were at home and I was you know part of of, of your life and what you were doing. So uh, I could give. In those circumstances, you can give very poor advice.
4: Exactly. If you're not in a place, a good place fin- uh, financially, a good place physically, a good place emotionally. If you're not in those good places, then you're looking for other people to somehow meet your needs. And All right. So well,
2: we're screen-free. We've only got a couple minutes. We Actually, we have a sure. minute left. So I want to make sure that listeners know where they can get the book, Screen-Free Parenting.
4: Uh, the book is available in bookstores everywhere. In fact, I think it's the front of store of borders right now, but it's available in bookstores everywhere. It's uh, one of the top-selling books on Amazon.com. And, and uh, and BNN.com, Barnes & Noble. And you can go to our website, ScreamFree.com, and all your listeners can download a free copy of the first chapter on ScreamFree.com. Plus, I've been on the Today Show a couple of times. You can watch me, watch those appearances, and plus lots of other free resources. ScreamFree.com is the place to get started.
2: Terrific. ScreamFree.com. Hal R- Runkle, thanks so much for being on the show this morning.
4: Thanks so much. I Great to it. have
2: you. And, uh, Lauren, I guess we have to say goodbye. It was fun. I learned a lot, as always. Lauren, see, now you've had all this advice. Now, you can only go in in a a positive direction. You know exactly what you should be doing. (laughs) Exactly. No more screaming. (laughs) No more screaming. I never want to hear you scream again. (laughs) (laughs) listening to Catherine Zox on VoiceAmerica.com Women. I'm your social worker with a microphone, and uh, you've been joining me and Lauren Beller. And uh, have a great day, and we'll see you next week.